0: It being Election Day, I thought it might be helpful to offer some thoughts, to offer some perspective on what it means to be a Catholic in the world, a Christian in the world, in the political world, which I guess is kind of saying the same thing. What's the proper balance to strike between being in this world but not of it? As Christ says at the Last Supper in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, that we are not of the world just as he is not of the world, but of course we are in the world. And that being the case, we can make two different mistakes. One is we can as Christians see this world as the main goal. We can be like a Joel Osteen or like modernist Catholics who basically think that this world and improving this world is the main goal. The opposite mistake is to think that we have nothing to do with this world and that we ought to let things just go as they will because everything is terrible and we are made for heaven and so we just live our lives looking always heavenward. It should be easy to see the problem with both of these things. The first one, of course, is so opposed to the actual words of Jesus in the gospel that a case hardly needs to be made. To think that the goal of our lives is to amass wealth or to just improve things in this world or to maximize happiness in this world, to maximize comfort for the greatest number of people, there's nowhere you're gonna find that in the gospels. You're not gonna find that anywhere in scripture. So that can't be our view of living in this world. On the other hand, the other mistake is just as bad because God gave us this world. And while it is fallen and while we are fallen, it is still good. And we need to think about what we're here for. We're not here for nothing. We're here as a preparation for the life to come. So to pretend that this life means nothing or this world means nothing, that we should always simply be looking heavenward without any care for this world is a silly mistake as well. So for people in the first group, politics takes on an undue importance. They live and they die by what happens politically. For the people in the second group, they don't engage politically at all, and both of these stances are dangerous. The way to strike the proper balance is to neither see this world as all there is, of course, obviously, nor to see it as totally unrelated to the life to come. It is a preparation for it. And in that sense, engagement in politics makes sense. Because as we talked about in the episode on religion and politics, it's important to remember that politics is, or should be, the practice of leading the populace to virtue and to goodness. Our religious lives, our private faith lives, and our public political lives should not be separated. Quite the contrary, what we believe about God and the world and about man and about virtue and goodness and evil and sin should primarily be what informs our public stance and our public dialogue. What is politics for? Is it just for protecting us from each other? Is it just for finding the best economic system? Of course not. It should be for doing what is best for humanity, doing what is best for the community. And of course, what we are made for is not mere material things, but a life of virtue, intellectually seeking the truth and pursuing it correctly. So if we don't cultivate those things here below, how do we expect to get to heaven? Our life here is the arena in which we grow closer to God and try to bring other people closer to God with us. So how do we do this via politics? We try as best we can to promote and enshrine in law things that reflect human dignity things that reflect justice, things that express the natural law and the divine law, things that dispose others best to living virtuous lives and to live out their vocation, whether it be for the most of humanity uh, within the family, doing those things to protect and promote the family, not just materially, but also spiritually, promote things that place God in his proper place in the public sphere. This is how we engage as Christians in politics, We need to preserve and promote those things that make the best atmosphere in which one can cultivate their spiritual lives. And yes, of course, this also includes making sure that everyone is able to feed themselves and their family, to protect private property, things like this, of course, supporting policies that do that. But also keeping in mind that all of those things, all of those policies that deal with our bodily lives are so that we can properly cultivate our interior life. Our life of virtue our spiritual life our holiness and that seems so silly to people nowadays if you were to say that a christian in politics should have their mind primarily on disposing the earthly order so that it might best lead to the spiritual order people think that's so naive and ignorant but what's the other viewpoint held by many well it's that either man is just for this world which is a very reductive view of this life and a very nihilistic and depressing view of life, or even worse, within that, that man is supposed to be subservient to the state, which is very offensive to human dignity. So no matter what, we're going to be subservient to some kind of order, whether it's material order or the spiritual order, and it's obvious which one leads to more human flourishing. The primary rule of the gospel, the primary law, is that of charity in the deepest sense, and that can only be exercised in community, which is what orients us in politics it should be an exercise in true love for God and neighbor and to propose and promote those things that make love of God and neighbor possible. And yes, this seems very abstract, whereas most things we think about in politics are small practical matters, especially as we get more to our local community. But everything has a bearing on this principle of charity and of human dignity, even if it seems very indirect or very removed from these high ideals. Everything that promotes human flourishing, economically, socially, culturally, whatever, everything has a bearing on creating an environment in which we can best thrive in our duty towards God and neighbor. And our obligation in each instance of a political election or proposal or whatever, our obligation is to figure out how does this issue or this election impact various aspects of my spiritual life. and. Our common pursuit of holiness and virtue as a society. There are, I'm sure, plenty of issues that seem to be neutral and one can go either way on them, but even if they seem to be that at face value, we should still always consider and try and figure out which would best lead to these ends that we just mentioned. Pursuit of loving God and loving our neighbor and allowing the society at large to flourish and be most capable of pursuing these goals. So you can see both that politics is important, but it also puts it in its proper place when we view it this way. That we can't make it the be all end all of everything, especially if we only view it as touching on our material being, but we also can't ignore it because it does play an important part in shaping a world which allows most people to have a chance at living a virtuous and holy life. I'll conclude with reading something called the Letter to Diognetus. It's a a famous and ancient letter that describes how Christians live in this world, but not of it. Christians are indistinguishable from other men, either by nationality, language, or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own, or speak a strange dialect, or follow some outlandish way of life. Their teaching is not based upon reveries inspired by the curiosity of men. Unlike some other people, they champion no purely human doctrine. With regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it is Greek or foreign. And yet there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens, but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children, but they do not expose them. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven. Obedient to the laws, they yet live on a level that transcends the law. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. Condemned because they are not understood, they are put to death, but raised to life again. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that is their glory. They are defamed, but vindicated. A blessing is their answer to abuse, deference their response to insult. For the good they do, they receive the punishment of malefactors. But even then they rejoice, as though receiving the gift of life. To speak in general terms, we may say that the Christian is to the world what the soul is to the body. As the soul is present in every part of the body, while remaining distinct from it, so Christians are found in all the cities of the world, but cannot be identified with the world. As the visible body contains the invisible soul, so Christians are seen living in the world, but their religious life remains unseen. The body hates the soul and wars against it, not because of any injury the soul has done it, but because of the restriction the soul places on its pleasures. Similarly, the world hates the Christians, not because they have done it any wrong, but because they are opposed to its enjoyments. Christians love those who hate them just as the soul loves the body and all its members, despite the body's hatred. It is by the soul, enclosed within the body, that the body is held together, and, similarly, it is by the Christians, detained in the world as in a prison, that the world is held together. The soul, though immortal, has a mortal dwelling place. And Christians also live for a time amidst perishable things, while awaiting the freedom from change and decay that will be theirs in heaven. As the soul benefits from the deprivation of food and drink, so Christians flourish under persecution. Such is the Christian's lofty and divinely appointed function, from which he is not permitted to excuse himself.